I took the lead. Where's a good station? Somebody's heart. Glorious. Glorious. Amen. Guardians of Grace. What's wrong? Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax. You have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us. Holding to pure grace. Again. Relax. Join in with us. Listen on. Be blessed. Fenders of Grace. Hello, all you Guardians of Gracers. It's good to be back with another podcast of Guardians of Grace. Feels good feels good to be back. I'm so blessed to, to be able to do this and to be able to do this ministry. I've got my partner Bill here. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Steve. Good to be here. Thanks for having me in again. And, you know, I was just thinking about that prayer in Colossians. And mind if I pray it? Yeah, let's we... pray it. Okay. It says that Paul is praying. He says, I pray that you would be encouraged in your hearts, united in love in order that you would have the full riches of complete understanding that we may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, and get this, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Lord, we're just praying for that spirit of wisdom and revelation to go out through the podcast and to work through Steve and I today as we're as we're doing this podcast. So that's what we ask, Father God. Thank you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Awesome. We, we pray that for you guys out there. We, we always pray for you, too. I want you to know that. We're praying for all our guardians, and we're praying that you'd have ears to hear and a mind that understands the gospel that understands what is written on the pages of the bible because that's all we do is point to pages of the bible and say let's read this but sometimes it takes the spirit of god to understand the truths and the revelations that are on those pages that we point to so that's why you'll always catch us praying that your eyes be enlightened and your heart be enlightened and your mind be enlightened we always pray for you to to be able to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of god and to know this love that surpasses intellectual capabilities you can't do it in in your own human intellect so we pray for the spirit's power for you constantly all day, all week, we pray for you. And we always pray in Jesus' name, of course. Okay, let's see. In the last podcast, I was doing the idea of just what it means to be born again and how the phenomenon started, how, how Jesus went up to heaven and asked the Father for the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit came back down it resided in the apostles. They went out on the balcony and preached to 3,000 people, and 3,000 people were born again. They were born again of the sperma of God. It's literally the Greek word sperma that we get the word sperm from. They were born of the sperm of God, and spirit has been giving birth to spirit for decade after decade, generation after generation, until Spirit gave birth to you through somebody presenting you the gospel. But tonight we want to look at how that blends in with understanding the inauguration of the new covenant, because the two ideas go together to make a, a real good picture in your mind about how the new covenant was started and it is worth a look at so that's what we'll do today in this podcast okay so with that in mind let's go to where the two covenants were prophesied because it's important to understand exactly what god was telling jeremiah and ezekiel 
to write down because it was going to be a new covenant that God was making. And that new covenant involved putting the Spirit within us. And there we go with giving you some clue in the last podcast about the phenomenon of being born again and how that happened. Now we're going to show how that phenomenon happening happening changes the covenants. So with that in mind, let's go to Jeremiah, or you can go to Hebrews and read about Jeremiah either way, but we'll read about the prophecy of the new covenant. Can you do that for us, Bill? I can do that. I I was just wondering, you said you were going to go to the predicting part. Was that you talking about like Jesus and John, maybe 14? Yeah, we're going to have to go there because Jesus spells it out. Okay. I could go to Hebrews 8. Yeah, let's do it there. Hebrews 8, beginning in verse... How about I start in verse 8? Okay, Hebrews 8, beginning in verse 8. You know what? I'm going to have to go back to 6 okay. for context. Hebrews 8, verse 6. <laughs> no more delays. No more delays. Okay. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. Should we stop there for a second? And just, Let's just, just camp there and find yeah. what was at fault with the first covenant. Right. Let's absorb why it didn't work. The idea that God was saying in Ezekiel and Jeremiah... There was fault with the first covenant. The first covenant was not perfect. So let's look at what made it imperfect. Good point, Steve. One, the first fault is the obvious glaring fault is the people couldn't keep it. Yeah, amen. The fault was a two-sided covenant, meaning... If we, the people that were under it, did our part, God would do his part. How did we do with that? We failed miserably. Starting from Joshua 24 till you get to the Gospels, it's all about the failure of the Israeli nation trying to please God through obedience. So that's what it's saying in verse 8. But God, this is, I'm going back to Hebrews 8. I'll, I'll start at 7. If there had not been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people. So did God keep his end of the first covenant? God kept his end of the first covenant. 100%. percent How did the people do? Not so good. They you, did not keep their end of the covenant that was fault that was really the fault of the first covenant was the people's inability to live up to it to the requirements of the first covenant exactly so i'm going to continue in verse eight okay having found fault with the first covenant and he let that play out all through Israel's history. 2,000 years he gave them a chance to master the first covenant. And they failed. They failed. And he, he never got to be a personal relationship with them. Right. Because they failed to keep the covenant. So he says in Ezekiel and Jeremiah and other places, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. And with the people of Judah, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. Okay, how is it not going to be like the covenant with their ancestors? He's going to go on to tell us how it's not going to be like that first covenant, which he shows us a lot of mercy. He shows us a lot of mercy. Correct. He actually enables them to keep the covenant that he's going to make with them. And then he gets it. I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. 
because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. Could we go to Ezekiel 26, 27? I think it's part of it, yes. Okay, I'm going to compare Ezekiel 36, 27 to what I just read in, in Hebrews 8. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. And Ezekiel 36, 27 says, And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Saying the same thing in two different ways. And Saints, you can explain that. Yeah, well, what Ezekiel does is in Jeremiah or this Hebrews passage that we're looking at, the, the prophet says that God is going to write the laws in their hearts and put it on their minds so that they'll, they will start obeying the, the regulations. Which was the problem of the first covenant, that the was, inability to keep the regulations. So he's fixing that problem. In Ezekiel, it actually tells us the clearest way that he's going to fix that problem. He's going to fix that problem by putting his spirit in each and every one of us, causing us to walk in his statutes. That's the same thing Paul said in Romans 8, 4, that all the righteous requirements of the law will be fully met by us who do not walk according to human effort, but according to the spirit's power. Paul is dittoing or springboarding right off of this prophecy where he prophesied that he's going to put his spirit within us. And also it says, I will give you a new heart. And here we read in our Hebrews 8 passage, he says in Ezekiel, I will give them a new heart. It's the same thing. In other words, he gives them when he gives them the new heart, it's synonymous with saying, I will give them the spirit, and synonymous with saying, I'll give them the ability that they didn't have to keep this new covenant. That's why Paul says in Galatians 3.3, you foolish Galatians, after having begun in the spirit that these prophecies are about, you're now going to try and attain the goal by human effort? No, the Spirit was prophesied that it was going to be in us to cause us to do better, to blossom as Christians and be the Christians that we couldn't be under the first covenant. So we don't want to live with that first covenant mentality. That's why we're going over the illustration of these two covenants so that you can see them and form a picture in your mind about these two covenants and what it means to be born again. Amen. Okay, so with that in mind, let's go back to Hebrews 8. Can you read where you left off in Hebrews 8? Yeah, I'll I'll read right where I left off. I'm going to start in context. This is a covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor and say to one another, Know the Lord, because they all will know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. That last sentence, Steve, is actually the second way it's different from the first covenant. Do you see where it says? Yes, sir. I will forgive their witness and I will remember their sins no more. And you could read this in Exodus 34. I don't want to go back there. But uh, when the first covenant was given, the Lord appears to, to Moses and he says, I will not leave their sins unpunished, but I will remember them to the first generation, the second, third, I'm paraphrasing, but on and on and on. I will, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds. The new covenant says, I will forgive their wickedness. The old covenant says, 
I will not forgive their wickedness. I will punish them. The old covenant says I will remember their sins to the second and third generation. The new covenant says I will remember their sins no more. So Thank the two you, Lord. differences were the first covenant was on us to keep and we had not the ability to keep it because it was spiritual. The second difference is in the new covenant he doesn't remember your sins and he doesn't punish you for sins i know when you get a flat tire you think it's because of the the sin you did but that flies in the face of the new covenant i will remember their sins no more so the first covenant had a permanent sin consciousness the new covenant no sin consciousness perfect perfectly well said well said but wait steve it gets even better. Can I read 13? Yes, you can, because that is better news. Get this. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Good news, Dan. That sin consciousness covenant mentality, yes. Which was what it was meant to do is obsolete, no longer in use, and will soon disappear. Yes, if we quit talking about it on the TV and radio, it could disappear, but everybody keeps talking about it. The veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom, signifying something new is coming, where sacrifices and offerings to remove sin consciousness temporarily would be done away with. But the people put it back in and just a little historical reference. And then in AD 70, it did disappear. The whole temple was torn down where they were, where they had the Levitical priests and offered sacrifices for sins and various needs of the law. I'm getting into something we don't need to get into, but it did disappear. It did disappear. With that in mind though, let me bring us to Hebrews 10 because it gives us a mental picture of what Jesus had to do to end this first covenant, where he had to go to end this first covenant, what the Father saw that allowed him to say the first covenant is over. I think you meant Hebrews 9, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. My bad, my bad. We won't remember it. (laughs) So Hebrews 9, I'm going to go to... Verse 11, Hebrews 9, 11, the blood of Christ. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of bulls and goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all, by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more than the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. I just see a correlation there, Steve, with a sin conscience and serving the living God. It, they're, it, they're not, you're not able to serve the living God when you're conscious. Yeah, you're not able to experience heaven. You're not able to experience Christ. You're not able to experience the new covenant when you're conscious of sin. That's an obsolete mentality and what does the traditions of men say to us over and over and over the most important thing is that you keep a sin consciousness as you're serving god yeah yeah always aware of your sins be aware and do better that it's it's crazy it's crazy it is but we're going to stick with verse 14 on that yes amen that we can serve God with a clear conscience because of the one-time shedding of his own blood in the more perfect tabernacle. And this is what is important. Let me read in verse 11 again. But when Christ as high priest of the good things 
that are now already here, he went through a greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. Let me just stop you there, Steve. Yeah. Not stop you, but interrupt you. It's the same thing. So you're saying the first... (laughs) (laughs) So the first tabernacle was actually a copy of the true one. Yes. And And now we're talking about the true one. We're talking about he went from earth to the third heaven to be in the real tabernacle, the one that was made without hands. And this is significant. This is significant. And he retained for us or obtained for us an eternal redemption, which is huge. That Those two words are just huge. That it, Get a load of what it means. It means he left the earth. He went to the third heaven. He left the realm of time and went into eternity and spilled his blood there before the Father in eternity and obtained an eternal redemption that encompasses all time. That's how we're all forgiven because he didn't... Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. He did not obtain a temporal redemption like the cows and the bulls and the goats did for us. He went to a outside of time out into eternity and obtained a eternal redemption it's so so overlooked but it's huge it's how everybody got their sin debt paid for uh, even us who are born 2,000 years later that's how he paid for our sins too it's huge it's huge and don't forget the the meaning of the word blood is always referred to as life the life of the soul is in the blood the life of a person is in the blood so when someone presents their blood as an offering he's he's actually presenting his life his perfect life that he lived under the old covenant to complete the old covenant so when it says redeem or traded in his life, that became our life. You see what I'm saying? Yes, yes, yes. And I want to read verse 23 because it correlates with what Jesus did when he went to heaven itself. It gives you a mental picture of how he's ending the old covenant, but it says, Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. So this means he's right there in front of God on our behalf, paying the sin debt right in front of God. And this is significant because it's going to show, not only it shows how the end of the first covenant came about because Him appearing before God for us paid all the debts of the law, all the debts that were required of us to pay under the law. And he ended the law by the sacrifice of himself right in front of God. This allows us to get an understanding of what Jesus could do next after he took care of this sin debt and the law debt and the new the old covenant stoppage and the new covenant beginning he asked god for what it takes to start the new covenant he says lord will you give and we will see that in john chapter 14 what jesus will ask god to give now that he is shed his blood in front of God and ended the old covenant and inaugurated the new covenant and become mediator of the new covenant. Let's see what Jesus asks as he is right there in God's presence. And does, you know he, does he ask to sit at the right hand of God? Not yet. Not yet. He asks something for us. He asks to give a, a favor to us and you'll see what it is. I was just going to say, Steve, it, it's not a minor point but you see where it says he appeared for us in god's presence yes you just you just brought that out Mm -hmm. then it says nor did he enter heaven often every time we sin 
goes on in 25, 26, because otherwise he'd have to appear many times. When we sin after the new covenant, we feel like something we have to do as yeah, because of yeah. part of the Old Testament. Penance. Yeah, go find another goat right. and bring it to the... Well, yeah, read verse 25 out loud in 26, because this is good news for us. Yeah, and I'm just going to even finish out the chapter. Okay, yeah. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but he has appeared for all at the culmination of the ages. At the end of all the ages, he appeared outside of time to do away with sin by the sacrifice himself just as people are destined to die once and after that the judgment so christ offered his sacrifice once to take away the sins of many he will appear a second time and i don't care how many how Lindsay books you've read that's not what it's talking about here he says he will appear a second time but not to bear sin but to bring salvation, which is what Steve's going to bring in chapter 14 of John. Yeah, and do you realize what the last words Bill said? He'll appear a second time without regard to sin. Sin won't be the issue the second time he comes, yet that's all you hear about on the TV and radio. I don't see how they can overlook this verse that says he's not coming in regard to sin because he already paid that. He was sitting there right at the right hand of the Father to offer himself one time for all time. One time for all time because it was an eternal redemption that encompassed us all from Adam's first breath till the last breath of the last man standing. They all are encompassed by Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection in ascension into heaven and then going before the Father and shedding his blood before the Father. And get this, Steve, and, and I will get to John 14. Mm-hmm. But see in 29, it says he will appear a second time. Yes. Where was the first time? It's in verse 24. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made by human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven himself now to appear for us in God's presence. So the first time he appeared for us in God's presence. The second appearing in the last verse says he will appear a second time not to bear sin as Steve just brought out but to bring salvation. So he appears the second time to us. In other words, I think this word is, I'm not sure, but there's a few different words for appear, but it's to manifest what he did when he offered his, himself, his life, for all sin, for all time. That's how he appears to you so that you would have this revelation that is a spiritual revelation that you would know it's enough that he did it but he appears a second time so that you would know that he did this that you could have the clear conscience that's what it says in Ephesians he gave us the pledge the seal the pledge of the whole the, the seal of the holy spirit which is the pledge about what he did and i believe i made a pledge to go to john 14 Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now we're going to turn the corner. We saw how he ended the old covenant and he took care of our sin debt and everything. So the old covenant is over and the new covenant starts. That's where he places his spirit within us. Remember, now we're going to see how that phenomenon of placing his spirit in us begins and what are the ramifications of it. So in John 14, we've got Jesus speaking to the disciples in what's known as that upper room discourse. And he's, yeah, I know it's, it's caught. It's my $10 word. He's speaking as plainly as he has ever spoken before because he's going to go to the cross and die. And he just told them all about it. And now look at what he's telling the disciples. 
it's a large piece of text, but we're just going to take out the verses that make it perfectly clear what this one part of his message to the disciples is. I'm thinking about starting in maybe verse 11. Yeah. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Jesus is in this, what's the word, Steve? Upper room discourse? Discourse, yeah. Talking to his disciples. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. I should have gone back further, but... That's okay. I I think you started perfectly. Okay. Because he had this conversation about show us the Father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that doesn't apply. Another time. Yeah. Verse 12. Truly I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And what am I reading here, Steve? And greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. He's going to the Father just like we read about. He went to the Father. He's telling the disciples this before it happened because it's 50 days later that he goes to the Father. But he's going to the Father just like he told them. And whatever you ask in my name, my name is another oh, podcast. Another hundred podcasts, <laughs> yeah. Wait. And whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. I'm going to pick up in 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, so that he may be with you forever. Remember it says you'll do greater things? Yes. This yes. is how you'll do it, with the helper. With the help of the helper. But do you see what he just said? He said, you're going to do greater things because I'm going to the Father. And we read all about how he went to the Father. Then he said something that Hebrews didn't tell us. Hebrews talked about shedding the blood and ending the old covenant and starting the new covenant. But here Jesus says, and I will ask a favor from the Father. I will ask him to send you the helper. I'm going to read it in verse 16 again. Okay. I will ask the Father and he will give to you another helper so that he may be with you forever. The helper is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see me or see him or know him. But you know him because he remains with you and will be in you in you i'm asking the father to bring down a spirit so that the spirit will be in you is isn't that the fulfillment of the covenant that jeremiah and ezekiel prophesied he said in that day i will put my spirit in you and cause you to blossom as Christians. Well, isn't that the same thing Jesus is saying? He's going to put his spirit in you now. It's going to start. And look at verse 18. Amen. I will not leave you as orphans. Why is he saying that? He's talking about his father, right? He's going to the father, but he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no, no longer is going to see me, but you are going to see me because I live, you also will live. So verse 20, on that day, which you, is you will just know said, something. 50 days from now. Yeah, you will know something. What will they know? So that's the day, right? That's the day. And the question is, what will they know, Bill? They, on that day, you will know, they will know, that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. They'll know they're not orphans. They'll know they have a Father, the same Father Jesus has. They'll know Christ is back on earth in them, in them, Most in the form yes. of the Holy Spirit. Do you see what he did? He went up there and took care of the old covenant and paid all our sin debt for that old covenant and made it obsolete and then started a new covenant up there and asked the father to do the mechanics of the new covenant which is to send the holy spirit down again and that is actually jesus in holy spirit form 
He's asking to be sent back down to earth to do more ministry through you. And on the day that the Holy Spirit comes, you'll know that Jesus is in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. So in context, on that day, which was Pentecost, the people he's talking to in the, go ahead, Steve, upper room discourse? Yes. The disciples would know something. Mm -hmm. On that day, they would know that he is in them. Yes, and you have to rub your chin when you say upper room discourse. In the what the scholars do. Yes. They would know on the day of Pentecost. Now, we know 3,000 people knew that day. Yes. Including the disciples. Yeah, let's go on to Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Acts 1, 4? Yep. Okay. On one occasion, while he was eating with the disciples, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about in the Upper Room Discourse. In the Upper Room Discourse. He, he said, I'm going to the Father, and I'm going to ask him to send you the Spirit. Well, now he's been on earth doing his ministry, you know, the one that started after he died, where he was showing himself to people. Well, this time he was eating with the disciples before he was going back to the third heaven and he said you guys wait in jerusalem because i'm the that holy spirit that we talked about which is actually me in spiritual form is going to come to you there in jerusalem and this is a, a significant observation because now we'll go to 2 1 acts 2 1 and we'll begin to see the spirit coming back do you want to read to one? Yeah, sure. In following? When the day of Pentecost came, which was referred to as in that day, from That's the true. upper room discourse. Yes. When, that, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Awesome, awesome. I I guess you can see what that's saying. It's saying that promised Holy Spirit that Jesus told them about it's the same promised Holy Spirit that Jesus told Nicodemus about when he said the wind blows where it wishes and you can't see it and you don't know where it's coming from. Well, this is the wind that Jesus talked about because after he said about the wind that blows this way and that way and you can't see it, that, that was when he was saying you got to be born again. And so this wind came just as Jesus described it to Nicodemus and the Spirit came just as Jesus described to the disciples, and the Spirit went in them, the, fu- the beginning of the fulfillment of that covenant. I will put my Spirit within them. So they're filled with the Spirit now, and they go out on the ledge, and we'll pick up what is happening when Peter walks out on the ledge. Yeah, he went out on the ledge. I'll get a running start out of them, verse 14. Because Peter's having to address the obvious. Something huge has happened. Big has happened. A mighty rushing wind. Everyone in the town heard this. And they're gathered together and people are doing crazy things. They're speaking in their Bible calls tongues. Or speaking, or, in, or they're hearing in their native tongue, even though Peter is speaking of, one language. Yeah. So this is a huge phenomenon so peter says in verse 14 i'm going to pick it up steve yeah yeah i would say so just to cut it short so he says peter stood up with the 11 raised his voice and addressed the crowd fellow jews and all of you who live in jerusalem let me tell you what's going on here yes let me explain this to you listen carefully to what i say these people are not drunk as you suppose it is only nine in the morning no here's what's happening this is what was spoken by the prophet joel 
in the last days God says I will pour out my spirit on all people this is being fulfilled today today right in front of them right in front of your this eyes this is what you're seeing the world changing phenomenon is starting Jesus has come back to earth to live in people Peter knows this and he knows it's the start of the new covenant experientially how the mechanics of the new covenant begins to work he knows that Christ came down and was in him and now he's got the ability to speak in 50 languages at once and he tells the people this is the promised Holy Spirit that Ezekiel and Jeremiah talked about when they said I'll put my spirit within you he said it's all starting the whole world is going to change now now the world is going to work off of a new dynamic. It's a paradigm shift. It's a whole new way of living life. It, the spirit is entering people, and the born-again process is starting. This is how spirit gives birth to spirit. Do you remember John in chapter 3? was talking to Nicodemus and he said you must be born again and he told him flesh gives birth to flesh and spirit gives birth to spirit meaning humans give birth to humans biological people give birth to biological children but the spirit Spirit. gives birth to spirit well that is what just happened because it says there was 3,000 people there who believed and they all received that promised Holy Spirit. 3,000 people were born again. The first 3,000 people to ever be born again just happened right there, and you can read about it. You can have a bird's-eye view of how the, the phenomenon of being born again started because it has been going on from generation to generation until somebody presented the gospel to you just like Peter presented the gospel to that those 3,000 people somebody presented you the gospel you believed and you were born from above the spirit in the person became your father you remember what Paul said in, in I think it's Galatians 15 or 1 Corinthians 4:15 or Galatians 4.15, I'm, I'm confused right now at the moment, but he said, you do not have many tutors, but in Christ, by the power of Christ, I fathered you through the gospel. Through the gospel, through presenting the gospel to somebody, when they receive it, you have fathered them. They have become born again. The spirit of Christ is within them. That's why Paul could say, I'm in the pains of childbirth till Christ is formed in you. Tell me he did not know the idea, the concept of being born again, the concept of how the second covenant would be fulfilled, him putting his spirit in us to do for us what we can't do for ourselves, and that's live out the Christian life in an exemplary way to shine, to blossom. Amen. Just to correct you there. Yeah, thank you for getting the verses right. Jesus told it to Nicodemus in John 3. In 3, yeah. First Corinthians was I be, I fathered you through the gospel four fifteen and you were confusing it with Galatians. I was um, confused, Mon. <laughs> that I am in the pains of childbirth for Christ to be formed in you. Yeah. So you said it all at once. Yeah, I was just blah, 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 blah. it's the thought that that counts, and yeah. it's all backed up by Bible verses. It is. It but, is. We're just trying to illuminate Bible verses to you because we think they're fantastic. They blow us away. Hopefully, they're blowing you away too, and you're seeing how the formation of the new covenant. Look at how birth takes place. You mentioned it with Nicodemus and Jesus. Flesh gives birth to flesh, and spirit gives birth to spirit. And when the gospel message is spoken, it's the spirit that impregnates your spirit so to speak and you become a new creation yeah it's literally the sperma of god he impregnates us with the sperm of god sperma is the greek word for sperm 
and that's what is written on the pages. Or a seed. Yes, a they seed. You politely call call it a seed. Yes. And Jesus said, "Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it becomes a great harvest. Bears much fruit. Bears much fruit. That's how we bear fruit because that seed is placed in us to bear fruit for us. That's why." Jesus said, remain in me and I in you, for apart from me you can do nothing, but in me you can bear much fruit. It's why the gospel is so powerful, that it's the power is in the words spoken. The power is actually in the gospel itself, and the persuasion is from the gospel itself. You know, it reminds me of, I think it's Isaiah 55, where yes, sir. it's quoted all the time, but it's quoted as the bad part. Okay, as always, they only did half of the quote, right? Yeah, you're familiar with that? Um, the legalistic half, yes. Can I do it in my radio voice? Yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir, radio it for us. As the heavens are higher than the earth, <laughs> so are my ways higher than your ways, and so my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And so the conclusion I'm to have if I don't read the rest of the verse is that I'll never know God's ways and I'll never know God's thoughts because they're higher than my thoughts and they're higher than my ways and I can't attain them. But go on. But <laughs> the verse doesn't end there. Right. That was just verse 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Verse 10. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, where his thoughts are higher and his ways are higher, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower, the spirit, and bread for the eater, so is my word that does not go out from my mouth. It will not, re that, I'm sorry, that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me void. So we, we have that thought. His thoughts, his word does not return void. Yes, it, it waters. With my thoughts are not your thought and my ways are not your ways. My words are like rain that take his thoughts, take his ways, bring them down to earth, yes. to our spirit. Make them comprehensible. To our spirit, which is 1 Corinthians 2. 2. We have not received the spirit that's of the world, but the spirit of God. So we may freely know all that he, or we may know all that he has freely given us. Right. We see we that can the, understand those words. The spirit of man only understands the things of man, but it doesn't understand the things of God. The spirit of God knows the thoughts of God. And we've received that spirit so we can know the thoughts and ways of God through the spirit. That's part of the new covenant that we're talking about. Yes. That's part of being born again. You now have the spirit so that the ways that are higher than our ways and the thoughts that are higher than our thoughts can become our thoughts. That's what the gospel is, Steve. Yes. It's he God's thoughts becoming our thoughts. And his ways are higher than our ways, humanly speaking. Way higher. Yeah. But when we understand that now we've got the mind of Christ, the last verse in 1 Corinthians 2, you have the mind of Christ, we can comprehend those thoughts now. Those thoughts that were higher than our thoughts, we can now comprehend if we do not try and use our human intellect are you so foolish after beginning with the spirit? Are you trying to attain the goal by human effort, the goal of understanding the Bible by human intellect? It won't happen. It's by the spirit that was given to us. We do everything. For apart from the spirit, we can do nothing. But it's a, a message of totally relying on the spirit. It's a covenant of total reliance upon the spirit. That is what the covenant was about. And it explains it by comparing spiritual to spiritual. 
not spiritual to natural things, which remember when we, we talked about the do not be taken captive by philosophy and when we did that in Colossians yes. about comparing, uh, do not be taken captive by empty, hollow philosophy that depends on the traditions of men and the elementary principles. That's comparing spiritual to natural, the elementary principles. And what we've done is we've compared spiritual to spiritual. We've taken the word and demonstrated the fulfillment of of each of these words. And each and every one of these words has meaning. As you can see, they paint pictures. We painted an awesome picture of the end of the Old Covenant and the beginning of what it means to be born again, to have your his spirit in you, now things should be a little more obvious when we say, are you so foolish after beginning in the spirit, are you now trying to attain the goal of human effort? All that begins to make sense when you know the new covenant is about reliance on the spirit. He made a new covenant with us whereby we rely and give credit to, that's a big part of this new covenant that we haven't covered yet, you give credit to the Spirit. In other words, oh, it wasn't me, it was Jesus in me. That's the new covenant, and that's where we're going to end up when we get to the end of this road that we're talking about, which will be never. It will we'll always have more to say about the gospel, but this is where the gospel's leading us. So with that in mind, I'm gonna pray that you take root and be established in these truths so you're no longer infants tossed back and forth by the waves and every wind of doctrine and the cunningness and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming we don't want you to blow in that wind father we don't want them to blow in that wind father we want them to take root in what is written on the pages of the bible so with that in mind we say in jesus name father in jesus name amen amen